0: Hi there, welcome to episode 007 of Opening Eyes with Ros Woz. I'm Ros Wozniak, Managing Director of Opening Eyes Coaching and Mentoring Services, and I have the absolute pleasure today of speaking with Sue Geelan. Sue Geelan is a wife and mother and the director of Metaneo, a relationship counselling and education practice which focuses on thinking differently. She is passionate and committed to helping couples build happy, secure, intimate, long-term relationships for now and ever. Coming from a dysfunctional family, Sue had no experience of what a good relationship even looked like. She had no real close relationships with her six older half-siblings. Sue's mother was killed in a pedestrian accident when Sue was just 21. With her mother's death, her anchor and sense of belonging to a family also died. The following two years of being totally alone was some of the hardest times she ever had to live through. Relationships and family became the most important passions in Sue's life and she sought to actively learn about relationships from everyone she met. In her relationship journey, she gained insights that led to strategies and principles which formed the basis of her counselling practice and education programs. She met David and married him in 1987, and in 2017 they celebrate 30 happy years of sharing their lives. Sue does what she does because she believes relationships and families are crucially important to society and to making people happy. She believes everyone can have the kind of relationship they want, they just need to think and act differently. By attending one of her seminars, couples get to spend two days totally focused on growing themselves and their relationship and planning a better future together. Wow, Sue, welcome to Opening Eyes with Roz Woz. Thank you for your invitation. It's fantastic to have you on the podcast. So that was a pretty interesting introduction. You've obviously had a lot of life experience that has led you to where you are now. Can you talk our listeners through a a little bit about your background and and what has led you to to opening Metaneo and and teaching people how to think differently? I can do that. I
1: left home when I was fifteen. Yeah, uh, that was a, a crucial, I suppose, time where you do want sort of family and and people close to you around you. But I didn't have that. I I went to a boarding school, left there at grade ten, and went to and then worked from the age of sixteen. So I was in full time work, literally from the age of sixteen. I was. Setting up my own house, you know, getting a car, all mm. that sort of type of thing. So I didn't have any close family sort of relationships or good role models, and I didn't want what my family had. Mm. This sort of mm. dis- dysfunctional sort of family. Mm. It's like, well, I don't want that. So what do I do to replace it? Mm-hmm. So therefore, I was doing nursing in aged care facilities from the age of eighteen. And I had good audiences where I had people working with me eight-hour shifts. Mm. So I picked their brains about how they did relationships, how they had relationships with their parents, their siblings, Mm. and, and what about was important to them and so forth. And probably from that experience and observing in the streets, you know, down the shopping centres and and seeing how people interact or couples interacted with each other, I would sort of say, yep, I like that. Don't like that, Mm. but I could tweak this. Mm -hmm. So I ended up looking at a lot of, I suppose, values Mm. around sort of relationships. Then, as you sort of said, my mum died so and that anchor and belonging just just died with us, so I kind of lost the ability to feel a little bit. Mm. So for those two years, I survived. Then I met David, and he had a very you know, good relationship with his parents as well. But as we talked, we started developing our own. Values between the two of us. Mm. So we looked at what I had learnt through this period of, you know, six years. What he had brought in to sort of say, well, what are we going to do in our relationship? Mm. What's important for us? Mm. And we talked for hours before we had kids, uh, which was three years later. And in that talking, we actually, in our heads, already had teenage kids. So we we went through, what will we do with this situation? What will we do with that situation? How would we survive this? How would we do it this way? So that's kind of how these principles and strategies came out. And then once we'd kind of, I suppose, got into a a pattern, I suppose, of our behaviours and so forth, we then looked around at other people's relationships and going, okay, they don't look happy, even newly going out couples they didn't hold hands they didn't look as if they were you know in together, love all together yeah, yeah and it's like well what are we doing that's different
0: mm. and so
1: we started thinking about well started thinking about and talking about well what are we doing that's different
0: yeah
1: so it wasn't until about uh, five years ago that i started uh, I was coming up to our 25th wedding anniversary and I was very excited because I was getting an eternity ring. <laughs> and one of the girls sort of just said to me at work, how do you do it? Yeah. How do you last? And it looks like happily because I was very excited.
0: Yeah.
1: How do you do it? So I started sharing with her some of the, these principles and strategies. And as I was talking to her, I got the passion in yeah. my in my stomach and I'm sort of going... Okay, this is new. This yeah. is really, really new. And as we were talking together she said, You've got to write this stuff down. This is this is good stuff. Yeah. So that's when I started thinking about okay, maybe this is the path that I had to take is is to be able to run courses and show people that in thinking differently about your relationship you can have as good a relationship as I or even better. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I had the, the issue of that I couldn't feel too well with two couples who can feel, they can even have it better than
0: me. And and I wanted to sh- just share that. That's incredible. So to reel it back a little bit, you you said that you came from a dysfunctional family. What sort of dysfunction was occurring in your family life? Well,
1: mum married late. She married at 39 and had me at 40. Yeah. So she was already... She was a matron of a hospital. Yeah. So she was already uh, an authoritarian type of, of of used to giving orders. Yes. Later, she sort of spoke about that she had been jilted about a month before she was due to get married, and I think she didn't like men after that. And that was like a
0: long time before. That was, was when it? Yeah. she was
1: early twenties, and okay. now here she's forty. She's marrying a man who already has six kids. Right. And then had me.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So being a matron of a hospital, it, you know, the home was run, kids should be seen and not heard. Yeah. To get a kiss and a cuddle from her. In, in later years, I'd have to chase her around the house mm-hmm. just to to get it. And then she would say, oh, come here and, you know, I'll give you a hug and so forth. And I was happy and mm-hmm. off I go again. So it was very hard to get close to her. Yeah. But when I sort of saw how she interacted with the grandchildren,
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: A totally different woman. She was. Yeah. She would play with them. She would read them stories. She would really interact. And I'm sort of going, "Why are you doing it with them? Yeah. And not with me? With me, it was sort
0: of. And because th- you had these older siblings, like these grandchildren were around when you were young. Six. yes Right. Yeah. I think
1: I was six when the first grandchild came. Right. So not much older than you know, sort of the the grandkids. Yeah. So, yeah, so I kind of, I I interpreted for her is that she felt a responsibility for having this child, me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so in whichever way, she had to kind of drag me up her way to get me to adulthood. With the grandkids, they weren't her responsibility. She could give them back so she could enjoy them. Yeah. That's how I could only interpret why there was such a big difference. So having to seeing the both, you know, it was sort of like, hey, I'm missing out here.
0: Yeah. And you must have wondered well, what was wrong with you? Why, why weren't you getting the same sort of affection that she was lavishing on other people's children? So what was your relationship with your father like? Well, probably from the age
1: of eight that I can remember, he was, he was a very, very self-centered person. Mm. Very self-centered his conversations would be around what he did or what he watched or what everything else. There was no interaction of caring for someone else. Mm. So in that way, there was a lot of sort of sexual um, abuse going on where he... so forth, because Mum was working, you know, two to ten at night. Uh, yeah. So he had sort of opportunity until... But, but in saying that, I didn't know because I didn't know about relationships yeah. then and nobody talked about things, I didn't know it was wrong until I went to a country town in New South Wales
0: Yeah.
1: and I started talking to the kids mm. where I kind of put two and two together and sort of go, that should not be happening. Yeah, yeah. So because I'm a fairly, I would call myself a, a dominant personality type yeah. of thing, I stopped it. Yeah,
0: yeah. You
1: know, go away don't want to have anything to do with you from that time I sort of yeah stopped it so I didn't have I suppose those feelings of guilt or shame or anything like this because at that age it's like I didn't know yeah how can I feel guilt or shame when I didn't know and I was 10 he was 50 yeah he knows and should know more
0: yeah so yeah. I put the blame or whatever it's it's his fault which is such an empowering thing to do it is. and and such an unusual thing for yeah. a child to have been able to do so that that's fantastic that you do, were able to do that and
1: i, I don't know why because a lot of people have said that you know to me that you know and I, and I don't know why i did it but i've never felt and that's why i can probably talk about it because i never felt the shame or the guilt because it was never my fault mm-hmm. you know this is what happened to me yeah He was older, supposedly should have been wiser. Yes. And it's his problem. Yeah. Being so self-centred, he he said, I didn't know I was doing anything Mm
0: wrong. It's quite a narcissistic way of being, isn't it? You know, that they they feel they've got the right to actually perpetrate on, on children. So, uh, for obvious reasons, your relationship with your father was not a close one, or right. a, you know, a, a, no. a loving one. And then you've you've got this situation where your mother was quite authoritarian, and and it was fairly laborious for you to get any sort of affection out of her. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, I didn't want it from dad. No, of course, you know. yeah. And, and
1: then I became almost a go between, like at a young, young age. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can remember it's distinct time at about thirteen. I was, you know, hanging out at the washing and he would come up and sort of say to me, oh, you know, I really don't love your mother. <coughs> and I'm going, what? Yeah. You know, I'm still in love with my first wife and, you know, I wish she hadn't have died and everything like this. And I'm freaking out going, what the heck? Yeah. He yeah. did that a couple of times until I just turned on him. And this is again, at 13. Yeah. You know, I just turned on him. And I said, don't be such an idiot. Yeah. I said, she's working full time. Yeah. You're, on, you're not working at all. She's paying for the roof over your house. She's paying for your car. She's paying for anything. I said, you would survive out in the world. Don't go telling me that you're going to leave mum because you never will. You're on yeah. such a good wicket. Don't want to hear it anymore.
0: Yeah. So your observations of your parents' relationship wasn't a great reference point for no. you in terms of how to do relationships. Yeah, no. And And so you said earlier that you did, you found that you didn't feel... Very well, or you don't you don't experience feelings very well. Can you just talk a, a little bit about that?
1: The analogy that I would use because I've thought about this for a bit, you know, in talking to people and and especially talking to David, I just said, "How how do you feel? You know, do you, what do you do inside?" So I, I sort of thought, "Hmm, I think there's something different here for, from how I'm feeling mm. or not." Mm. <laughs> and the analogy that I put. Is that your emotions are like a water in a glass jar that's turned upside down on a blotting paper. Mm. You got that? Mm. The people that come in and out my life sit around the blotting paper and my emotion seeps under the glass mm. so people can tell what I'm feeling more than I can tell my own self. They yeah. sort of said, oh, you, you know, it looks like you're feeling happy today or you're feeling a bit sad today or something like that. For me, I'm sitting on top of the glass. Yeah. So I don't have direct access to the water that's inside and I don't have the seepage that goes out around. Yeah. So, again, it has to be on a, a kind of a logical basis or, you yeah. know, through... Thinking, I mean, you know, I will cry in a sad movie or laugh if something's happening and, and so forth. So those... Mm.
0: Do you think that you repressed those because of the, the situations that you experienced in your family?
1: Yes, I do. I think it happened when mum's death. Yeah. And I had to survive.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you just shut your emotions off because to feel emotions, I guess, would have been a distraction from you trying to survive,
1: perhaps? Yeah, yeah. and I had to survive on my own.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because even at 13, you know, you were sort of recounting that conversation you had at the clothesline with your father. You were quite analytical in terms of thinking of the practical side of things, weren't you? So you've obviously had that tendency, but then when your mother died... That amplified it even more. Yeah, yeah. And so when when you met David, your wonderful husband of thirty years now, and you you guys again, you sort of took more or less an analytical approach to to your relationship. So was that driven by yourself? Like, how did David receive that sort of analytical approach? I
1: suppose that we were. I suppose that we were talking. Um, As we were sort of talking and getting to know each other, that's when I think we started exploring the difference between how he felt and I felt Mm. and so forth. Mm. Because I sort of said to him that I don't know if I love you or not.
0: Which would be very confronting for um, somebody. Well, it is. For, for and that's somebody. how amazing he is. A lot of people would go, oh, well, if you don't know if you love me, well, I'll just take off then because what's the point? Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. But he didn't because he then said, well, I feel
1: that you love me. Mm. He's on my blotting paper. And okay. he felt that I loved him. And I just said, and, and so does my girls. They feel that I love them by what I do and the practicalities of how mm. I, I sort of, you know, run a home and, and our family. And I sort of said, well, at the minute, that's all I can ask. But I said, we have a real big problem if you stop feeling that <laughs> because yeah. I don't know how to fix it. Yeah, yeah. But for him to be able to then, in his own self, be what I call differentiated as well he wasn't relying on me to fill his cup mm-hmm. by sort of saying do you love me do you love me do you love me yeah. because i'd be sort of saying i don't know
0: yeah yeah you know
1: so he had to be self-sufficient to be able to believe in his own self and also to believe in in our relationship
0: yeah so he's obviously a, a guy that has quite a solid foundation because what typically happens from certainly from my point of view and I don't have your qualifications in studying relationships but I you know I've been in a few relationships myself and I observe my friends relationships and things like that what generally happens is you get two people You know, one of them may even be a bit of a bottomless pit type person That needs constant reassurance And, you know, a sense of feeling like they're empty Until they're with another person And then that person is somehow going to make them whole fill, fill them up and, Or that's what yeah. they, they believe And I, I think a lot of relationships are made up of At least one person who has a bit of a bottomless pit happening And another person that, that may even have their own version of that and they're looking to fill each other up and have you know give each other the Responsibility of making the other person feel whole. Yeah, so when you've met David He wasn't a person like that no. So he was actually able to hang around and help you know figure out this relationship with yeah. you even though you weren't Sort of giving and, him stuff and,
1: and in a way that was probably the best thing that we could ever have done Because he was a whole person
0: Mm.
1: I was a broken but a whole person. Mm -hmm. But we enjoyed the heck out of each other. We didn't need each other. And Mm -hmm. it's when when a relationship then becomes a need. I need you to fill me or Mm -hmm. I need you to be this type of person or I need you to be that type of person before I can be fulfilled. Yeah. All right. We weren't like that. And mm. that's probably one of the biggest, biggest things is to to say that we were two people who chose each day to be together,
0: and because that, you wanted to,
1: because we wanted to, yeah. because I enjoyed, because even though I just said to him, you know that I don't know what love is, but I enjoy being with you, mm. I have fun with you, mm-hmm. I enjoy celebrating with you. Mm. And if I could choose, I would choose you on a desert island than anybody else in the world. Now, if that is love, mm.
0: then what it is... must be so. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And it's, that, and it's that choice, I think, to sort of say, I want you in mm. my life. I don't need you, but I want you. That has given us the difference, I think, between other people's relationships because there's a lot of that, as you said, need. Mm-hmm. And I don't need David, mm. but I want him.
0: And, and, and probably vice versa as yeah. well. And so when you were, you, you, you talked about talking to work colleagues and, you know, other people in your, your, your circles of influence and they were going, wow, that's really great stuff because obviously you're sharing like how you and David do things and that's when you started to realise that how you do things was quite different and unique And something that you could actually turn into uh, a business. Yes. Essentially. Yes. And so when you had that realisation and you got that unfamiliar feeling of excitement and giddiness you sort of hadn't had before, what was the process from there? Because you you said you left school at, what was it, 15, 16? Yeah, grade 10. Grade 10. So, and now you, I know that you've got several degrees, Mm -hmm. including a master's degree. How do you go from... You, how old were you when you had that realisation? Uh, the realisation to to actually write a course... Yeah. ...was probably about five years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so how do you go from somebody that has very limited qualifications to somebody that goes and writes relationship courses and and has all these degrees? So what, what did you do first?
1: Well, I kind of... I wanted to... I suppose it was David encouraging me because I had the mentality of I'm a year, I'm year 10 dropout, you know, mm. go to uni, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So he encouraged me and said, you can do it. You know, I'm talking to you about master's stuff here. Yeah. This is master's in education yeah. and science and all that sort of stuff. And you get it. Yeah, yeah. So you're not dumb. Yep. Yeah. You know, you could do your own sort of thing. So he encouraged me. So I went and did my grade twelve. And then I got into, I initially wanted to be a um, human resource manager. Yep. So I did a, um, firstly did a um, Bachelor of um, Commerce in yep. Management. Yeah. And then I um, applied to get into a, the School of Psychology mm. and I ended up doing a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. Okay. So, so it was human resources, you know, specifically that that's where I wanted to go. But sort of through you know us moving to um, Canada and things like this, I, I couldn't I couldn't get into because I was older. You know, I was mm-hmm. forty by the time I was finished. Yeah. So I couldn't get into a new country in a kind of management area or even in human resources because yeah. either I had to get my degrees assessed. Yeah. And then I was too old. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't get that opportunity. So I went back to doing sort of secretarial work and. Things like that until we sort of came down to the Gold Coast, which is mm. about the four years ago, uh, or five years ago, and um, and she and and this person sort of said, "You should write this stuff down." Mm. When I was talking to her, when I got the passion, and that's when it started. Of I write, I start writing my course. So, as I started writing my course, I sort of thought, well, okay, I need to get some credibility here, so yeah. I'll do my
0: master's. Yeah. So, it was the course that came first. Isn't that funny how we, we know what it is that we know, but we don't feel right about it until we've got that bit of paper that says, your yes. yeah, expertise actually exists, <laughs> To, to sort of underpin what it is that you know, become become yeah. the expert. That's right. You know,
1: and and so I'm the expert of my course, but then to give credibility, I'm also a counsellor.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: and uh, and I sort of yeah got the sort of the studies, and so yeah yeah people then can say okay so she does know what she's talking about that's
0: right and, and i suppose from an insurance point of view and things like that you, you have to have certain qualifications to make sure that you know you're not unnecessarily messing with people's heads and you know what you're doing yeah, and true. things but yeah it's it's funny that you didn't do the qualification first and then write the course but you wrote the fa- course and then yeah. got, did you change your course much after the qualification
1: no i added things yeah, yeah. like um So the basic structure was there, but when I was doing the course, we looked at uh, John Bowlby's attachment theory, Mm -hmm. so I added that because I'm sort of saying that's actually quite important because of how the attachment theory can influence how you relate to someone. Mm -hmm. And so if you are aware, and that's what my course is about, is being aware of these things. And if people are aware... They can do stuff to change it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I'm not sort of saying, okay, well, if you follow step A, B, C, and D, you're going to have an amazing relationship. It's like, no, this is the stuff that you need to be aware of. Take what you'd like and apply it to your own life. Tweak some stuff if you can sort of say, okay, that's not really good for me, but I can understand where she's coming from. Yeah, And that's like, and the other one is like, uh no I can no we don't need that bit
0: yeah and that's yeah. so all
1: I want and so that's what my whole space is this two-day course or you know individually which is a four 90 minute sessions over a month yeah to so that I will actually work with a couple quite in depth going through the my course
0: yeah is to
1: be able to give them space to have the conversation yeah to actually then become aware of okay there's there's a difference of what we're doing
0: and i I want and we want better it's so interesting isn't it because i think most people exist in their relationship in such a reactionary plane you know so it's just they're just so busy you know working raising kids you know whatever it is that they're doing trying to fit in the odd little bit of time together And most of the time it's either like ships passing in the night or they're they're sort of living stressful lives. So any interactions they have are stressful sort of at odds with each other. And they don't even stop to think about, okay, well, how are we relating to each other? It's that the relating just happens. in. And and the relating is usually from crisis to crisis. Exactly. And
1: then when it's no crisis then you don't think about it.
0: Yeah, that's right. And
1: so usually it's... Yeah, and when you react in a crisis, you tend to make decisions that may not be best.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: because you're reacting usually on high emotion. Yeah. And when you make decisions on high emotion, you can make wrong decisions
0: yeah definitely well i think one of the first things that happens when you're stressed is that your your brain function actually slows because a lot of your blood flow and everything goes to your muscles because it's looking for some kind of physical altercation to be occurring so you know your decision making processes pretty much go out the window other than am i going to run am i going to hide or am i going to fight you know so it's people make the worst decisions when they're in that excited emotion state yeah Yeah. and
1: so what i'm sort of suggesting is that with with the 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 core structure and so forth and having a look at relationships more in depth is to sort of say let's let's plan for things Mm. so let's plan for you know when we when this comes up
0: Mm.
1: uh this is what we're going to do yeah so so that when a crisis comes up you know what you're going to do.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and nothing becomes fearful because, okay, we've already talked about this. That's, you know, that's
0: what's going to happen. And it's probably even to giving couples the opportunity to iron things out that they keep having crises about. Um in a, in a state of, you know, not being in crisis, you know. So yes. it's like, hey, I really don't like it when this happens in our relationship. Can we talk about it now while it's not happening? Yes. And actually yeah. address yeah. it and figure it out. And then they probably find that there are less flare-ups about that particular issue.
1: Because they've solved it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. what On that point, what sort of issues do you find are pretty common for, like, your, your garden variety couples out there? So for our listeners to keep their their minds open to some patterns in their relationships.
1: I looked at the top 15, 20 issues that couples seek Mm counselling for. Mm -hmm. And out of the top, in the top five, was issues around intimacy and, and affection. Okay. So, because what happens is, If you're not touching, and I'm talking non-sexual touching yeah, Yeah, but
0: affectionate touching. touching, A touching, yeah.
1: So holding on hands as you're going down the street or in the car when you, you know, put your hand on his or her knee and you're sitting together when you're watching a movie, doing all those type of things. When you start to have problems, that touch is the first thing that goes. Yeah. So when you start, and so that is almost the first indication that there could be... a a could be a beginning issue in your relationship is because you don't touch anymore, yeah, you might have the occasional sex on the side, but that's totally different if you 're not you know giving each other a kiss in the morning as you 're going out the door, if you 're mm-hmm. not giving each other a kiss as you 're coming home if you 're not just in the kitchen giving each other a big hug mm. if you 're not holding on hands, if you 're not connecting because that connection, that physical touch gets all the endorphins and everything else in your brain Mm. which gives you the feeling of emotional closeness yep so when you're not touching you start to then emotionally drift apart yeah and so then when you emotionally drift apart then you don't feel loved or wanted or
0: you know, those type of things. And then conflict starts to come in. Because you're feeling all of these other emotions. Yeah. Okay. So so sort of affectionate touching. What's an, what's another common issue that um, couples have? It would be
1: uh, communication. Yeah. Sometimes sort people talk, uh, but they're missing the message. Or a lot of times is they don't like the message they're hearing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they refuse to hear it. So they yeah.
1: can refuse to hear refuse yeah. to hear it. So communication can be an issue because if you're not talking mm. and you're not sharing who you are as a person, mm. then you could be just flatmates Yeah. in the same house. Which and I
0: think a lot of people end up being, yeah, don't they? Yeah, they're, they're sort
1: just of two, 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 two um people cohabitating. Yeah, and the only thing that's that's there is a mortgage.
0: Yeah or, or the and a house. couple of kids
1: and and maybe a couple of, yeah, yeah maybe a couple of kids and it's not a relationship
0: yeah isn't that interesting and therefore not a marriage or a you know that and I don't think that's a new thing either Like you know if you look at some of the I think a lot of people sort of think The 1950s were full of People who were madly in love And really happy in relationships and no one ever Got divorced but in reality You know mum was at home t- Taking Beck's powders and having A lie down and dad was out in the shed And they had, they never spoke to each no, Other no. in a lot of the relationships yeah, yeah they didn't get divorced but they Certainly weren't in loving happy relationships no, no. A lot of the time were though no uh, and, and even you can still have
1: you know sort of people who are in their 60s cohabitating
0: yeah and yeah.
1: Um, robert sternberg would call that a companion love yeah which they like the person they're committed to the relationship there's yeah. no passion
0: yeah yeah okay you
1: know it takes all three yeah to actually have that you know sort of that amazing love is that you've got to like the person liking yeah. includes respecting who they are, yeah. what they're doing, passion, which is your touch, mm-hmm. that physical connection, that spark,
0: yeah,
1: and the commitment that you are both committed to the relationship for the long term, not just for five years or anything like this. Because yeah. if you sort of say, okay, uh, you know, we'll only be here for five years or something like that and then we'll probably get a divorce. That's not mm-hmm. commitment because mm-hmm. you're not going to do the stuff that you need to do to say, no, we're, we're in here for the long haul. yeah. Right? So what do we need to do now to make sure that we're here for the long haul? How can we keep our relationship that's emotionally connected, that has passion, mm. that, you know, a really sharing of, of individuals? Yeah. And, and I really like I mean, whether you've sort of seen the movie Shall We Dance? No, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, she, she hires a private investigator because she thinks that the hubby is you know sort of cheating on her and things like Mm. this where he's he's learning how to ballroom dance right and so she makes the comment that there is a billion people on the planet but it's your partner Mm. you know your marriage partner or this this person this long-term committed partner Mm. is your witness to your whole life
0: yeah okay that's pretty
1: profound they witness your ups and downs yeah they witness who you are they Mm. witness your joys your sorrows they witness your failures your triumphs yeah and they're with you every step of the way as you live through your life if you didn't have that partnership then who is going to witness how incredible you are
0: that's, that, that's very profound. I've never really thought of it in that way, actually. And maybe that's what drives that sort of sense of betrayal and that supreme sadness when you start to drift apart and you lose that.
1: Be- because you're losing you, you, your You're witness.
0: losing your witness and you, you're losing that aspect of yourself where you're sort of getting that feedback about what your life is about and what, you, what it is that you're contributing to. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really interesting And So for and listeners that are sort of Listening to, you know You're talking about some common problems That couples have And you hear people joke about that sort of stuff Oh, we never hold hands anymore So it's a very common thing If they're sitting there thinking, holy crap you know, I've been married for fifteen years, or whatever, whatever the case may be, or I've been, you know, with this person for five years, and we hardly ever hold hands down the shops anymore. Geez, does that mean we're over? What What would you say to those couples?
1: Nothing is set in stone, so it's not over. Mm. But if you want your relationship to the next level, mm. you want your relationship to be to be amazing. Mm. To have this person be this amazing witness of your life and, and to be able to share each other's lives and to be able to share in And to be able to want to be that with mm. that person rather than need Then you, you need to touch Yeah
0: You
1: know, um, because that keeps a spark You've probably heard about people who are in their 40s and sort of say, oh, the spark's gone out of a marriage Yeah And it's like, duh yeah. Have Have you even touched her? You know, yeah. have you Have you actually held hands with her? Do you just sit and just crawl into each other's arms for a hug? Yeah. That's your emotional connection, and when you don't do that touching, you don't have the emotional connection, mm. and so again, you are like flatmates. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it
1: takes touch to almost they kind of work together in synergy. Yeah. You yeah. can't have one without the other because touch is just incredibly powerful to be able to get that emotional connection with a person. Yeah. You know, when you touch a baby, you know, hold a baby, you feel a connection, you feel it because you're touching them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And to really, you know, kind of want to curl into your partner's, you know, sort of arms, Mm. that's where you feel safe and home.
0: It keeps you bonded. And it keeps you bonded. Yeah, yeah. And
1: if you don't have that, you're missing out on something incredible. Mm. So for people who don't have it, I would say start. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never too late to get the spark
0: mm. or to
1: create the spark. Start. Small steps first. Mm. Start by, you know, holding each other's hands while you're driving mm. or, or your hand on the knee. Um, walk down the shops. Just start holding hands. You can even, if you, if that's even too much, is that in in the morning, hug Mm, don't mm. speak don't talk nothing else you just crawl into each other's space and hug for a minute Mm, even mm. by the clock time it if you have to yeah and just relax into it
0: do you find some couples that you sort of go through this process with that start out quite awkwardly at first because you yeah. just said, like, yeah. even if you have to time yeah. it, and I'm like, wow, how awkward. Yeah. But it, it, is that, do, they, do you find that they lose that awkwardness as they start to touch more, it becomes more natural, yes. natural to them? Yes. It okay. takes usually about
1: 21, 21 days to, have, to break a habit or create a habit. Okay. Yeah. So when it feels awkward and, it's, you know, you're sitting there laughing and going, okay, this is really weird, mm. persevere. Because, mm. because you're coming out of your comfort zone. And then after the, the month or so, you're wondering, why in the heck have we ever done this before? This is amazing because I can just yeah. relax. Relaxing. And you relax right. into each other and just hold. And sometimes when you've had a stressful day, sometimes you just need a hug. Mm-hmm. You know, And if it's for the person that is your significant other who is on your side, who is a witness to your life, you want them to be able to witness, I just need a hug.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, you know you're married for a reason because you wanted to spend the rest of your life together, then touch is a big important part of it and mm. I, I don't think it should, should be, it should be neglected.
0: Yeah, and I suppose too once they start touching in that affectionate sense then other areas of the relationship improve as well. Yeah,
1: because you're now emotionally connected. Yeah. Even with you are having an argument. If you're having an argument and you're starting to get, you know, sort of a bit emotional inside and, you know, high emotions, you're starting to get angry, mm. hold each other's hands. Yeah. Just hold each other's hands while you're talking. And I'll tell you what, you can't get angry.
0: Isn't that interesting?
1: You know, and the other thing, if you if you need to talk about something that's important and high emotion gets in your way, Mm. like you get angry and you start bringing stuff from weeks ago or months ago and start Mm. blaming and you know all that sort of stuff, lie on the floor. Mm. The minute you lie down, your anger will dissipate and you can talk. Lie on your bed, side by side with your heads together, so you can hear each other. And talk, if, because if you start getting high emotion, you'll sit up.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right? So you
1: got to force yourself
0: down. Mm-hmm. And
1: then you can talk the words, because mm. it's when high emotion comes in that you start talking through anger. And the brain just shuts down. And the brain says, oh, he hurt me here, and he hurt me there, and now I'm bringing it up, and, and then yeah. you're going to say stuff that you wouldn't normally say in a rational way because you're in in high emotion. Don't let it get that hard. Lie on the bed. Lie on the floor. That's great advice. Really great advice. Because then you can talk and solve the problem Mm. without having that high emotion to
0: complicate things. And you don't need to complicate things. That's fantastic. So we've been talking about your course. When's the next course that you're running so I'm
1: looking to. I've, I've got the pilot program. So my yeah. very first pilot program is oh, June.
0: Wow, that's not too far away. So at all. no,
1: this is, and I'm very excited about yeah. this. Yeah. Bit scary, but still, <laughs> I'm not very excited to. And so I'm obviously needing couples to, I suppose, give me feedback yeah. and sort of see what they liked and what they didn't like. And then from thereafter, I'm going to be. Um, running one every quarter, so every three months or something oh, yeah. like that.
0: Okay. So Excellent.
1: yeah, so then my next course that I will write will be my parenting course. Okay. So it's looking at how you you sort of parent in relationships. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So it, it's looking at your relationship with your kids. Yeah. And, yeah. How, and how that sort of differentiates. So there's two two that are coming up. So once that happens I'm hoping to yeah, run it once a quarter, and then if they start filling
0: up, then I'll keep adding one. I'd love to be able to do once a month. That's fantastic, so. and, and of course, when you start addressing issues such as you know people having more robust, loving relationships and uh, behaving as better parents and raising kids that are then going to be modelling these better relationships is going to have a ripple effect and impact the world exponentially isn't huge. it huge yeah and it's
1: not just here and now because it's going to affect the community mm. and uh, and the sort of services that it needs with broken homes etc yeah but it's going to serve generations
0: yeah, because definitely. if you're
1: having a good relationship with your kids they're going to see a good role model and say i want that for house yeah. so when they start growing up And they interact with people and so forth. Mm. They will then try and find a partner who wants the same things as what their parents had
0: and know to actually talk about those things because I, I love i've seen some of your promotional material and, and you say you know you, you put all this effort into figuring out all these different things in your life but have you not even yeah. figured out how you're going to do a marriage precisely so you know you
1: plan for your retirement yeah you plan for a, a holiday yeah you, you have every all the ducks in a row yeah but you don't plan for your relationship
0: I think it often gets said people plan their wedding, but they don't plan their marriage. Yes, it, yes you know yeah. like there's a whole heap of planning that goes into the one day, but what about the, the rest of the, it? the rest of it? you know so yeah. uh, it's, it's really, really important stuff. Well, it's been amazing um, chatting to you today, Sue, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you. Uh, they can go to my
1: website yeah. at yeah.
0: uh,
1: They can email me at sue mm-hmm. at au, mm-hmm. or they can phone me on 0439
0: Fantastic. Well, so. all the best with your pilot course. I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes. It's fantastic yes. work that you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for coming on to uh, Opening Eyes with Ros Was. Well listeners, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you for listening and I hope that you got some amazing pearls of wisdom for your relationship and don't forget that if you're not being too affectionate with each other all is not lost, just start holding hands even if you have to time it, hey? Alright, thanks for listening. Bye for now.